International. Hey, welcome to the Leading the Blind podcast with Ariel McCorkle and Jared Norman. Ah, I fucked it up. Oh, I got no. them wrong. Oh, it's different. Hey, this is episode Karina I like Maggio. Ariel McCorkle. It's not bad. Uh, Jared Norman. It's kind of boring. Boring. Yeah. Boring. Not anyway. everyone can pull off Norman. That's, That's right. Oh, yeah, Karina Maggiore. Oh, is she good? You know, you know, what I, you you know, know Karina, everyone? Yeah, you know what I did recently? Hmm. I watched that documentary, Funniest, mm-hmm. directed mm-hmm. by Katie Pingra, about mm-hmm. the funniest person in Austin competition, and Karina is featured in that, and yes. she's so fucking good. It's a great documentary if you haven't seen Funniest. I think they are now, I feel like I just saw that they're streaming it somewhere, or you can rent it you can, somewhere. I, think I streamed it, I, 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 but someone did it for me. Oh, but so I don't. How, do, how do the people find uh, this documentary? They just uh, just ask someone that knows about it. We should probably put that at the end. Yeah, too. let's do that. Um, you know, we'll that's the, the kind of thing we'll put at the end. Stick it back there in the end. In the future, we'll do stuff like that. But we've already told you about it. But it's yeah. just a cool thing if so you're good. involved, if you're interested in the Austin comedy or just comedy in general. Um, it's an interesting look at how comedy competitions affect the people involved in them. Yeah, destroys lives. Yes, but anyway, it's. It's good. She's good in it because she's insightful and incisive and... Just like she was on our podcast. Absolutely. Yep. Very funny. So, enjoy. Going between people and, you know, like... Does it work? Yeah. I mean, if you've got people who are really nervous about speaking out loud at all, you know, um, or are shy around new people, it's just, it's like I said, it's like the bare minimum, like bare bones improv warm up just to get people talking out loud in front of a group at all. And then you would move on to something where you're jumping in the middle of the dance, you know, or, you know, well, I mean, maybe that's step three. I don't know what step two, what are the other improv exercises? You ever, you ever take one of these classes? Nope. Mm -mm. Um, you know, I just remember one where uh, someone starts singing a song and then, you know, dancing in the middle of the group. And then whenever someone wants to, they tap them on the shoulder and sing, start singing the song that that reminded them of. And then until and they have to keep doing it until someone taps them. And it's just improv people have no shame. Well, no, it's to teach That's to get you point. out of your shame. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, because you do have shame. Oh. And so I hated that, all those exercises yeah. so much because I have so much shame. And so, Is there a way for me to not like it? Is it can I express how do I say that? What do you mean? You, oh, wait, no one likes it. <laughs> Just don't do it. No, I mean there are people who gonna. do. The people yeah. who do like it are yeah, a different kind of No, people. it's 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 fine. I get it. No, and the kind it's of there's a girl it. in my class who she liked it. She was the kind who has, has no problem in blah, blah, blah. and she like, you know, a few years later, uh, I saw her on the front of a magazine in Boston and she had because she's from Boston and she was in some T V show. Now she seems to have gotten dropped in the second season. Really? But so, well, it was this was a UCB in New York, so like one of the girls in our class was um, on uh, what's that show with Tina Fey? Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock, and uh, you know what I mean. Like so, some of that kind of stuff is par for the course. But she had just enough of that like pizzazz and self possession to get on the show, and she's a blonde. You know, what do you mean by self possession? What does that mean? 
she owned self-possessed it. you know what i mean yeah, no, she, yeah like I'm someone who's self-possessed like all right they feel comfortable in their they or, they, or at least they present as comfortable in their they own it they own it yeah, yeah they own it yeah just whatever they're doing yeah they're not i wish i had neat. some of that yeah 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 that's why we're comics and not improv people <laughs> i guess uh, I don't know. There are yeah. comics who are self-possessed and mm-hmm. really jealous of them. So it's more self-obsessed. Or we're it's all more, no. Much more I'm self-obsessed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're all self-obsessed, but yeah. self-possessed. You seem, you seem pretty confident on stage. On stage, I'm talking about in person. Oh, it was like a pretend thing or something. It's just no. It's different because on stage, I just get to talk to whoever. But interpersonal interactions, there's more going on. You know? When do we start? Uh, he just starts recording and at some point we, we did we start yeah yeah he's already started recording, recording. <laughs> oh well, yeah well, the, it's better that's not any fun the, the, no, no it's fun. better if we just I just need to not notice when we start yeah. really you just like to slow okay and roll into it okay that's yeah, fine because I'm other, sorry I didn't mean to like pull the curtain back no, no it's, it's just that otherwise we do that thing where we're like okay so here I just I, can't that's what everybody like, does that's like my so favorite I was just part. waiting for it oh yeah I just can't I just can't handle it do you want me to do it yeah if you want to say welcome yeah what's this podcast called it's called Leading, Leading the, the Blind. blind. Hmm. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to wait for a cue. I mean, if you, if you want to say welcome to Leading the Blind. I think we I mean, just said it in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Well, now we've, yeah, no. we were prompted. I was trying to make it meta. And we did it. And, and we, we did, did it. So we yeah. did it. Well, good. So um, now the, the show will here. start when we want it to start. Yeah. Let's make it now. Yeah, I think it's already started. Um, so <laughs> thanks for... You missed your cue. Damn it. <laughs> thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, and we're asking, you know, uh, various kinds of questions because we're trying to get advice about comedy and it's called Leading the Blind because it's the idea is we're all kind of blind. Even if you're however many steps ahead, everyone's just trying to figure it out, stumbling in the dark here. So mm-hmm. that being said, I like to like start with some of the whole, like, how long have you been doing comedy? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was you doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting used to how this podcast There's works. so many levels. Um, I've been doing stand-up in Austin for seven years, but I've been doing some form of comedy or another since college, so more than a, almost two decades. So what what uh, form of comedy, like... Um, I directed the comedic movie and wrote that and I did some sketch and I did some improv poorly and mm-hmm. um, I wrote comedic newspaper type columns for a while and ran some comedy shows in Australia. I've, I've been comedy adjacent for a long time, but the actual discipline of stand-up I really, really started doing in Austin, although I gave it a shot when I lived in Denver for about six months, but I was mm. so bad that everybody successfully made fun of me <laughs> <laughs> out of the scene. Like, I was shamed out of, of oh, doing it that's that's awful. Awful. for a Denver. full decade. Yeah, that wasn't why, but I did. <laughs> Fuck Denver, am I right? Oh, it oh. turned out that was a... I should have stayed. <laughs> well, uh, how long have you lived in Austin? About the same amount of time. Seven yeah. years. Okay. I just got here, and I was like, wow, I'm funny now. Yeah, okay, and so seven years seems to be kind of a common answer for the people that we've been interviewing so I think that's like what I'm wondering I know the scene has changed dramatically Mm. um, over the course of the last decade so was there like did you you didn't move here to do stand up though right no I moved here to do jobs yeah, job stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe people were also just moving here for I the economy. I think people were freaking moving here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, uh, magazines told us to. True. And we still did what magazines told us to last decade. I think yeah. we stopped now. They don't have magazines anymore. No, basically. now we 
do what BuzzFeed tells us to yeah, do. Yeah, you know, actually, because it was when I had moved to New York, um, and then people kept telling me how great Austin was, and I mm-hmm. hadn't known that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I left because I'm from Houston, and then I went to college in Dallas, and so, you know, I only knew the shitty parts of Texas, the <laughs> shittiest parts of Texas, you know. And so. You including Houston in that? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's just such a big city. Most of it is shit. Okay. So, there are some good aspects, but you're going to have to drive way too much. It's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not like a great city. Anyway. It's, because our Houston Sorry. I mean, look, I'm from Houston. <laughs> I lived there for 17 years. Whatever. Um, I enjoy going there, but I, if you, if you want to live there, you have to live in a couple of neighborhoods. And then if you do that, sure. But most people live in the residential zones and, ugh. So, point being, people kept telling me how great Austin was, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, there was an option there? I didn't even realize. But I, now I'm thinking the timeline, because that was about seven years ago, is like, that was when it was in the BuzzFeed articles or whatever yeah. was happening mm-hmm. at the time. Wow. Yeah, and now it's like one of the fastest, um, or the one of the cities that the most people are moving away from. Thank Both, God. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. It's still like more people coming in than out, but right. it's definitely like... There's yeah. like a huge um, number yeah. of people leaving. So, But I think that is misleading, because when I read that article, I looked a little... I actually read the whole article, and not just... <laughs> what an awful <laughs> What showed habit. up in the Facebook mm-hmm. preview <laughs> window. And I, a lot of them are moving to, you know, Cedar Park. Uh, so it's not uh, like they're really moving away. It's just right. they're like escaping. That's just gentrification. That's just people yeah. getting pushed out. Well, it's just escaping the property taxes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. People can't afford this. Um, oh, but I did want to ask, why did you feel like you settled on stand-up? Because you, you had these other forms oh. of comedy you were sort of expressing yourself through. Yeah, I don't know. I was in a band because I got to Austin and, and I had to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to get rehearsals together because there's other people mm-hmm. in bands. And then I always wanted to try stand-up, but I tried it once, and immediately the main benefit I discovered was that I didn't have to schedule with anybody. I yeah. could just go do it. Yeah. And so then I just started doing it a lot, and then I quit the band. I was like, this is my thing, <laughs> just out of pure convenience. And I don't know. It, it clicked in this decade of my life in a way it didn't when I was in my 20s, and I think I was trying too hard mm-hmm. or thinking too hard or probably just thinking I'm so great. Um I had a little more humility this time through, and therefore, when I uh, bombed inevitably for two to three years and cried at night, um, I, I, I thought it was—I expected it coming. You know, I saw yeah. it, coming. <laughs> it didn't yeah. hurt as bad. It was like, well, I knew when I went out tonight that I'd end up crying. <laughs> so this is fine. Now this is brings up an interesting point. When you say you bombed for two to three years, oh yeah, how often did you bomb? Almost every time. Um, Yeah, no, I had, I don't know, like a handful of good sets to keep me going every year for Mm -hmm. years, for years. And the only thing that kept me in it was um, I ran a couple open mic or I ran an open mic and like got involved in doing a couple shows behind the scenes Mm -hmm. that, you know, that was kind of fun. And it like made me feel like I was part of the scene, even though the scene would rather I'd stop talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just muddled through and reached that level of like, I think mediocrity that anybody will after three or four years, I got to the point where I could get on stage and not be nervous, have jokes prepared and tell them mm-hmm. and then get into FPIA. And then like, if all the winds swirled, right, get a you know, through the prelims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was just like that level that I hit. And I was like, well, that's good enough for me. And that's kind of just where I was. And then, um, and then when I transitioned, all of a sudden I found like a way to be funny 
mm-hmm. like really <laughs> actually yeah. be funny and have something to say. And things have been going much better since then. And now I look back on all that and I think, wow, that was a long time to kind of suck. I don't well, know why I kept doing could it. Did you feel it at the time mm-hmm. that oh, there yeah. was this whole thing holding you back that was doing the, that was affecting comedy too? Yeah. I would tell anybody to listen, like, I don't know. Well, how do you find your persona? Like, how do you get up there and find out who to be mm-hmm. on stage? And I would wildly swing from like one persona to the next, like one open mic to the next and get up there and I'd be like, you know, Andrew Dice Clay at one place and (laughs) then like Louis CK at another, I was just stabbing in the dark for like a personality basically. And, uh, once I didn't have to do that anymore, um, it was easier. I also wonder, so when you say you're bombing for two or three years, I mean, this is mostly at open mics. Oh, exclusively at open yeah. mics. Nobody would fucking book me. So, I wouldn't have booked me. <laughs> and I, well, I, I wonder and I imagine yeah. like that at the time, um, the open mics would have also been like just comics pretty much or mm. like, I wonder if they were tougher rooms back then than some of the mics are now. No, actually, I don't know. I did the valve a lot and this was, um, a previous regime of the valve where it was a bit more, um, it was weird when I first started, um, Dana, who was running the valve, uh, still did a really tiered system where you'd sign up. And if you were just starting, you'd get on like once every month or so mm-hmm. and you get three minutes. Yeah. And if you were getting pretty good, like kind of bookable, then you'd get on like every other time and get five minutes. And if you were like definitely bookable headliner quality, one of the better comics in town, you'd get 10 to 12 minutes and you could go up any week you wanted to. And so everybody's goal, it wasn't so much the order of the list because he actually sprinkled those 10 minutes all throughout the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody's goal was to get a five spot or get a 10 spot. And like you kind of gauged your level against other people at that mic. It was a rolling FPIA essentially. Yeah. Wow. That's That's, that's an interesting. Um, (laughs) It was intense, but it was also kind of false. It was just Mm -hmm. Dana's view. Mm -hmm. Uh You know what I mean? And you started to see through that pretty quick that like it didn't it was one person's opinion yeah. it didn't yeah. matter that much and the and the actual mic at that time uh, was atrocious it was a dead room guaranteed every week the show was always three and a half hours long there was no good spot yeah um, wow. it was just a slog and a nightmare yeah because Valve can be hard now but it's not that not anything like that yeah. I mean yeah. a hard night now at the Valve or like a hard Friday night show if you ever do one of those or go to one of those when uh-huh. there's no audience that feels more like what the Valve felt like at the open mic consistently yeah and the best you could hope for was that you would have that perfect slot that perfect three minute slot that happened right when the people from Esther's Follies mm-hmm. stuck their heads in listened <laughs> to one of your jokes and then left that was like oh I talked to somebody <laughs> so um, that was like the height of it. I was doing that a lot because it felt like oh I'm at a real club and I've never been I still think I've only done the Cap City open mic maybe six times my whole yeah career like I just there's something about getting up there on a Sunday I can't do sure yeah, I wish it weren't on a Sunday uh, yeah I wish it were like a win- if they could do Wednesdays or something like that right any be. other day I host great. tramp so it's the easy it's yeah, well, yeah there. some yeah. of us have families yeah um, <laughs> I have a family they just don't talk to me anymore what's, what's wrong with that <laughs> I meant like a loved one that you lived with <laughs> oh, I used to but then he started doing meth and he wasn't a loved like, one uh, he was too we totally loved each other I just, he just don't like also loved meth um, okay, so yeah, and it's, <laughs> yeah, you and you brought up that like uh, transitioning changed your comedy, yeah, and so and I I remember because I didn't know you that well. I mean, I had just moved here mm-hmm. a few months before you transitioned, and so. Um, like I remember watching you and there was one set at the Velve particularly where it was I think I've talked to you about this before subsequently anyway but where you 
and you were like ranting, it seemed like about NPR or something. Oh, yeah. Um, but it seemed very like um, off the cuff. And if it, I, it, either way, it was like whether this was all completely off the cuff, that was super impressive, or if you had a way to kind of know that bit, but just make it seem like it was just coming from your heart in this like mm. you know, rapid fire way. Either way, it was very impressive. And it was unlike, you know, the sets that I'd seen you do prior to that. And, and that was like not long after your like coming out party and everything right and I and and ever since I've ever since then it's your style was completely different and it made me wonder like also it had to have been like what what happens in your to your process you know now (laughs) well you saw like a glimpse of the old me because that actual that particular bit was a it was kind of getting polished right around the time that I came out and so I carry it through because it was mm-hmm. just, it was indicative that the style I'd stumbled into and I'd found some level of mediocrity with was mm-hmm. getting extremely worked up over nothing. Ah, uh, yeah. It was sort of like Sam Kinison, but way nerdier. Yeah. And so I had one about the metric system and I had one about Puerto Rico not being a state yet. And was I had, it, was, was that irony built into it where they were supposed to understand it's ridiculous for me to be mad at this stuff? The metric system really so, is so, but I think what it really was was I just found some measure of a community voice in getting upset over something frivolous for sure. some reason people would look at my ass on stage and say of course this person gets all worked up like you know it's just nerdy sjw stuff gotcha. was like who i was, it was yeah. a persona that would click and the, what was interesting is i took that particular npr bit to colorado from like one of my first sets back in colorado um, really one of my first sets on the road ever because mm-hmm. everything i'd done a bit in austin up to that point and it flopped hard in the middle of a set of all the other stuff I do now. And um, it just wasn't invoiced. Yeah, it just wasn't invoiced anymore. My best friend came up to me later and was like, "Where the hell did that come from?" It was like yeah. out of left field. And I'm like, "It was even conspicuous." At, yeah, it was conspicuous. Because sometimes exactly. things just don't work. But it, right, you know, it's just that joke's not worked out yet, or it or didn't hit. Maybe at the Valve in isolation, just doing that. Yeah, for a five minute set, right. it's fine even yeah. now, and I can still do like a whole. If you want me to do five minutes of just me being pissed off, okay. Mm-hmm. But like working it into the rest of my persona yeah. didn't work at all because it's not a persona anymore. It's who right. I am. And yeah. If I'm going to get worked up now, it has to be organic. I yeah. can't just manufacture you be a bit out of actually it. mad about the thing. Yeah, which I can I can still get I'll, really. I'll mad. follow you on Facebook. I see <laughs> I see the rage. <laughs> um, yeah, the rage can still come. But I, I have a question based mm-hmm. on you being bad for three years. Yes, because you're not bad now. You're one of the best comics in Austin. Oh shit! And yeah, and Thank so you. and in that part of this podcast is about like uh, advice. For mm. new baby comics, <laughs> uh, you know the open oh. mic scene. There's a lot of conversation it makes out so there. So uncomfortable. No, no, don't don't worry about it. Uh, just go with it. <laughs> there's uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation about and, and debate over. Do, are you are people just naturally funny and something they have to work to refine, or moreover, are there just people that aren't funny? Now, if people had asked you, or if people were talking about you, they would have been wrong. And so, do you, in other words, if they saw <laughs> if they saw you two years in yeah. being really bad, people might have said, "Oh, uh, Karina is just never going to be funny." Yeah. I just, how do you feel about that? I don't know how to do this without sounding really conceited, but fuck it. Um, so <laughs> I knew I was funny. Yeah. I just didn't know how to be a funny stand-up comedian. Sure. Yeah. That was the thing. And like, if if I needed to, I don't know. I, I was I was always good at making jokes via writing. That's kind of my first um, practice, my first art. And yeah. so I had 10 years under my belt of 
you know, telling a joke on Twitter or being funny on Facebook or doing something like that. And I just knew I had to figure out how to translate it to stand up. So even then I would have said, look, you can be funny and not be a good stand up. Yeah. And actually you can be a not funny person and be an excellent stand up comedian. It's an actual skill. That's interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of people I've met who have, um, seem to have no joy or sense of humor who can still slay on stage. Um, just in a different way. Sure. And that's the thing with stand up is I think everybody has a different way of making it click and making it work. That's why I don't trust stand up classes. That's why I don't really do a really solid job of giving advice or thinking about sure. advice cuz I always feel like I'm going to miss the mark. You're always talking about your experience. Yeah. And for me I needed a persona. That was the thing that was missing. Along with other things, I also needed a lot of the other developmental things every stand-up comic needs. Mechanics. Stage time, practice, mechanics, writing skills, all that. I, I needed it all. I'm yeah. not just saying I was that was it. But that was yeah. the big missing plug yeah. for audiences to connect with me. I've seen plenty of other people get up there with tons of charisma and no jokes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, well, They're they... called improv people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not always. Sometimes <laughs> improv people, their problem is too many jokes. Oh, not enough reality. Um, oh, so I, and I see them and I'm like, well... You know, in three or four years, they'll figure out how to write a joke or they won't. Yeah. That's that's their big missing thing. And sure. nobody can tell you how to write a joke, no matter what the <clears throat> Richard well, Pelzer if you said. Dan Frenches of the world. If it, if it helps you to, to be told how to write a joke, like, I don't think that you have the internal. I mean, you could be told, but you don't know how to write a joke for you. Right. Uh, based on someone else's advice. You can learn the 19 different ways to write a joke and right. then discover a 20th. And that 20th is the way that works for you. Right. Uh, it's a very, I think there's a reason it's one of the last self-taught art forms. Like it's, there's very little apprenticeship or classwork that goes into it. Yeah. Obviously there are classes. I'm not saying they're not helpful at all, but for the most part, 90% of the comedians in this town who are good yeah, didn't do any of that. Yeah. And it's and a, it's a mixed bag anyway, because the ones that, cause there's a few that have, but then like I didn't, I didn't do a class, but like I can yeah. think of a few that did. But if you look at their class, most of them didn't keep doing it. They exactly. Were, it's a, this confirmation bias where, yeah, you were probably going to do this anyway, mm-hmm. or at least you were going to be self-driven and self-taught. And this was just anyway. your way of dipping toes in open mics. And yeah. that, that's fine. I don't really poo-poo classes necessarily. Sure. I just don't think that, um, don't sacrifice your money if you know and your time if 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 it's going to be a sacrifice you know? right if you need to give somebody some money and have something on your calendar where you're supposed to show up in order to get in the habit mm-hmm. a class might be good for you right. yeah. but it's if, like going to the gym like signing up to, at a gym yeah, signing yeah, up yeah. at a gym exactly but if if you don't need to do that you can literally just show up at open yeah. mics and get pretty much the same benefit maybe a little more slowly but also with a lot less confusion because you won't have somebody telling you advice that may or may not apply to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, in terms of not teaching people how to write jokes or I think there's gotta be, that's gotta be true because when you look at the, all the different formula there are out there for writing jokes, Mm -hmm. most people aren't doing most of them. Yeah. Most people are doing a certain kind of that and stuff like that. It's not like we wouldn't, branch out and do every structure joke we could yeah. but it takes a long time to figure out how to write through that structure mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I discovered one recently where I was like oh man if I could just think of the content for this but it's hard to just come up with that shit right. so you're nowhere. thinking of a joke structure and then you 
just in and of itself, and then you want to write a joke in that? Well, I wish that, yeah, yeah, because all of my all of hmm. my jokes, ultimately, I think any joke that works, it's like Chris Rock has this idea, like, Shecky Green is in everything, it doesn't matter what your attitude is, there's some <laughs> joke structure under there, and I think most people, like Karina said, sort of intuit it as they get as yeah. they just develop yeah. but you're not intuiting everyone out there you're just intuiting the ones you no. experience and I think there's dozens I don't think it's like yeah. there's six types of jokes yeah. I think there's a lot of them uh, do y'all do either one of you enjoy or like baseball or follow baseball I mean, no I've some sports them. but not baseball but it was yeah. something I really grew up with and one of the things that I remember about following baseball players is that the announcers would talk about them learning to hit that second pitch like maybe they hit the fastball really well in the minors but now they're in the big leagues they gotta learn how to hit the curve and like the best hitters could hit like four or five different pitches and I watch certain comedians and I think about that sometimes where like oh my god they're getting really funny but they can only hit one kind of pitch. Yeah, yeah. And so like you give them more than five minutes and the audience is like, okay, I can start to telegraph your jokes. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and you have to learn sure. how to hit that second pitch. And then that third, and then the best ones get up there and you can't even tell what pitch they're hitting. Yeah. Like it's the difference of joke types is coming so yeah. fast and furious that you've lost. You lose that analytical sense of why is this working and just fall into it. Those are like your national touring headliners. Yeah. Like Tignataro blew me away like that. I went in because I'd seen her clips so often, you know, yeah. her, you know, tonight show type, type clips and her like internet clips so much. Which I'm like, I have a pretty minutes, good idea of what yeah. her best, you know, home run hitting mm-hmm. type jokes are. Yeah, yeah. Her style, her deadpanness. But when I saw her actually go for an hour, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, yeah, she's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to get a Stephen Wright, like, here we go again and again and yeah, again, yeah. and then one mix up and then again and again. And no, she was just killing it so all over the place in a good way yeah to me that's a skill that comes from experience because you have to master these suckers one at a time and you can't overanalyze it you got to feel one and then once you feel it you got to put your own joke into it yeah and then you got to make that one work and then you figure out if you can do that again that to me is part of the development of as a comic is learning those different it's interesting i just feel like i never not never but i i very rarely think about joke structure um and i Think about most you things You do, out. you just don't know it. But You're no, one I mean, of those people I was thinking of. I saw you go from one to three. Oh, sure. Like almost overnight. I'm not saying I don't... Of course, there are joke structures. It's just mm-hmm. that I think that, whereas most things I think about analytically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out loud in my head, like I just let most of that be intuitive. I mean, sometimes there's something where you're like, well, this is going to be a rule three situation, you know? Right. But uh, I think everybody does. Like in a sense, like it's about analysis. Yeah. yeah. But you're going back... You have to see it in the wild... And then you say, oh, this is that kind of thing. I don't think anybody writes a joke by like formalizing it like a logical Well, no, logical but you were just then, saying you like had sure thought of a, ju- yeah, a joke maybe. structure and then you were going yeah, like, to yeah. try to ju- like that's I was just like, oh. Yeah, okay. because I saw in some because I think well, the first part of comedy is looking at other like just finding stuff funny. Yeah. And then you start seeing the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed for the first time, it's like, oh, this has there's a schema to this. Like, and I could do that schema. I could think of jokes to write for that schema. But again, I mean, I, it, I don't think you can just be like, okay, let me plug, let me put the values into the variables. I don't oh, think okay. it works. I yeah. thought that's what you were saying. No, is that no, you no, were no, like, no. I've just developed a new, uh, no. found a new now, structure. By the way, let if me... that worked, I would do it in a second. <laughs> well, like, totally. I have like, no dignity. Well, then you could yeah. write a book that people would read and get good at comedy. Yeah, yeah. If it was there that simple. Yeah. <laughs> but what I, I saw you go from jokes that were jokes mm-hmm. that kind of separate to start, you started writing sonnets and that's when I saw you really turn a corner is that sonnets. you would take, yeah, I call them sonnets. Like you would 
take a theme that would have been a joke before and then you start putting variations on the joke into it and turn it it's not a story because it's not like mm-hmm. beginning middle end storytelling yeah. thing but you'll take something like you know how do you wash a dildo and you'll tell six <laughs> different <laughs> jokes on that yeah. in a sonnet and you've actually learned how to pace it out so like a sonnet it almost has a rhythmic structure oh, yeah and i've noticed that is really like to help elevate your connection with the crowd and the energy you get from them that sustains you for longer sets so a sonnet that's interesting i mean that's an interesting way to think of it now i'm insulted that you would you know you know refer to my comedy as anything like poetry but um, <laughs> <laughs> but no but I actually, this isn't slam poetry literally. i'm actually pretty good at, at poetry i just don't do it because i'm above that but um <laughs> no but, are. but today like so if i'm talking to someone mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where we all of a sudden are like kind of writing a bit together you mm-hmm. know what i mean little do they know some coworker or whatever <laughs> um and, those are the best it is and then yeah. and then i keep saying you know that funny thing that funny thing that funny thing and it's right. those ideas and, like i I think back to like the little note that I took on receipt tape today and it now that you mention it like kind of looks like a sonnet mm-hmm. it's like oh there's that thing there's that thing there's that thing so all that. yeah you can put a little couplet on the end of your job it's weird I don't want to make you self-conscious because it's <laughs> almost like I know if you become aware you might yeah but it's I, I, yeah you put like a longer couplet at the end of your jokes it's kind of cool no I don't want to be self-conscious because I like I said it's kind of like a crazy thing that I do most of this intuitively because if I overanalyze yeah. it yeah. it would be bad so oh I'm the same way if, if somebody told me how I do it I'd quit it's like the one thing that I... <laughs> I'd be like, I didn't want to hear that, la, 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 la. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the the art behind it or whatever is like the one thing in life that I don't overanalyze right. anymore. Do you anymore. think it needs to be mysterious? Like to make it good? Mm. Some people thrive on analyzing, picking it apart and putting it back together. Some people are yeah. very careful. George Carlin is the example that most people come up with who memorized every word, every yeah, beat, yeah. every yeah. rhythm of every joke. Now he made it look conversational. It's, and that yeah, was it's the impressive. beauty of the art of it. it but like yeah. he was so meticulous with his jokes. Um, and I'm sure he knew exactly how and why every single one of those beats worked. And Seinfeld's like that. Yeah. So that's definitely a path to success if it's how it works for you. But I would say somebody like a like a Billy Connolly, sure as that fuck isn't gonna do that. Yeah, yes, he yeah, knows yeah. how to tell a joke and he knows exactly what he's gonna do. He's yeah. got mastery, but it's much more fluid and, and yeah. Well, it's much more, it's much more, um, the, the structure is more like a cloud than like a building. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 He know there is a structure, but it's going to adjust to the audience or yeah. come out. Of, he, he might stop a bit and go into another bit because of something somebody yeah. said, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think there's a freedom in both ways, but I think like I, the more I write, the more I'm gravitating towards the boring yeah, yeah, loser uh, 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 well it's, le- it's less romantic but I think there's something about it I appreciate it because in some sense you're not locked into it yeah. like you actually can sort of start be ad-libbing and things like that once you it reminds me yeah. of jazz how that you have a rigid structure but then you imp- have improv on top of it or whatever yeah. yeah but I mean I think that that might just be the then the latter kind if, mm-hmm. if you're talking about jazz and having the because it's not like I mean, sometimes you're riffing on stage, but yeah. sometimes, you know, what I'm doing is I have the jokes and the bits, but then, yeah, yeah there's yeah. going to be that kind of jazz-like thing, but so it's I'm like, not what sure. what are you doing most of the time? Like, Robin Williams, there's also the jokes, but, like, the meat of what he's doing is in the moment, feeling it out, like, it's not sort of scripted and stuff yeah. like that. It just seems to me there's, like, a continuum there. Yeah, yeah, there's a continuum, yeah. so I wonder yeah. what number we'll all end up on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example, though, of somebody who just rides the lightning, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to work for, like, 
getting to whatever the next phase of this bullshit is um, on getting this away from sure. yeah no. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to whatever act two of this thing um, but yeah is uh, getting away from I'm very adherent to my set list I'm very yeah. rigid about mm-hmm. my set list my jokes within are two word notes and I've never written them down more than that but like I can't go on stage and no matter how big the venue is or how important the show is I can't mm-hmm. go on stage without a set list because I think about that so carefully and I really plot to make sure I don't do two, two jokes back to the back that are the yeah. same structure or you know I used to yeah, be but it's not good the two times I've lost the set list oh, no. like it's flown away <laughs> you're like, like well, a breeze and it's oh, in the audience or <laughs> or uh, the one time I was drunk enough to just uh, not look at it went better I yeah. mean it yeah. just I, I started to feel the audience more yeah. and so there was that danger of repeating a joke structure or forgetting a joke I really wanted to tell as if yeah. that matters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean if you're doing well there, who gives a fuck there's, but, a, there's a level of professionalism about it that I respect too and if you forego that for artistic reasons yeah then that's good but a lot of people are uh, not bring the set list up not because they've yeah, gotten past it. it yeah I'm par- petrified done. of going um what's next I never yeah. want to do that ever yeah. but it's become a dumbo feather sure yeah. you know oh, like I can good. fill yo you've gave me eight minutes I can fill eight minutes yeah. I don't yeah, need yeah. a set list I would get it. rid of it well, I mean yeah. after this many years you have enough yeah. jokes and bits up your sleeve I think so I went through that I mean but and uh, honestly I did acid once and, and that I don't know if I did <laughs> I tell you that this sounds like the solution honestly yeah well what happened I was gonna I took it right before uh, well on a Wednesday like at about 1pm because I was going to and I was just you know I was going to be just in that end period where you're kind of like I at least uh, when I'm coming down from shrooms or acid have this sort of on things you know my brain is just on and all I want to do is talk I'm very charming and funny you know to Katie usually is all you know to my fiance at home <laughs> that's a good because, start right, well yeah because I'm not you know I mean, she's I'm, heard all your shit well but this is you know you know <laughs> exactly. being able to be very yeah. yeah exactly so right. she gets to hear this just you know effusive whatever and so <laughs> so on uh, on this one Wednesday I, and this was back in the lit lounge era on mm-hmm. Wednesdays there used to be that Mike really but we called yeah. it a show um, and so it was going to start at like 9 or 9.30 and we would just bark a few people in and so it was no stakes that was my no stakes mm-hmm. you know thing where I could just do 10 plus minutes you know and so is that's, this early on? You mean this was about a little over a year ago okay so I mean mm, yeah. what you know um, and and so but I really what, that's what I wanted to do was to get rid of the set list yeah and so I think I remember about, talking to you when you were big into this yeah so about an hour after i took the acid chris cubis messaged me and said hey do you want to do the sting tonight now first message you'd ever sent me i'd never even heard of the sting and you know after a couple minutes and i'm just starting to like see god a little bit you know <laughs> come up as a yeah just and i had, I had like, of course <laughs> and then i was like how much time he says 10 minutes and you know these little and so i'm like cool <laughs> and so and <laughs> And I'm like, so it ruins my acid trip. I don't get to enjoy the day at all. But, uh, well, I mean, just because I'm like, uh, what am I going to? So I had. Now you got to maintain. I had about, (laughs) I had kind of an eight minute story-ish type thing or not really a story, but like a a conversation, a discussion. Yeah. um, That had some, like I knew why it was funny and I I knew that was about eight minutes. And then I had kind of like, well, and then I'll have this kind of topic for two minutes. And so I was like, I'm not going to have like a set list. I'm just going to have this general Mm -hmm. idea. So I get there and 
Chris isn't there. He's in LA. And so uh, Yusuf's there, which is great because it's lower stakes for me in this, <laughs> in this trial. Um, <laughs> but then, so there's seven of us on the show and then he puts the list out and I'm third to last. I'm like, okay, Were you cool, the only one down. on acid at the time? Yes. Okay. And, and then I go and smoke more and jump <laughs> drinking and ah. whatever. And at the time, oh, the other thing is at the time I was smoking almost every time before I went on stage because right. after Stone Trunk Sober, which I, you know, it was, it really like helped me to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, then I almost had to, and it was becoming a little bit too compulsive. Like I right. have to smoke like 12 minutes before I go on stage the came like right amount a perfect crutch yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a nature weed too and then it, and it would like sometimes it was like that was really great that I was mm-hmm. high like that but other times it was like oh maybe I shouldn't have been high um, and so but but so I have like a minute before I go on stage oh and he wrote on the on the list it was like the seven of us and it said eight minute sets and mm-hmm. so I was like oh well this is easy I'm just gonna do that first eight minute thing minute before I go on stage he goes hey and you're gonna do like 12 minutes okay <laughs> and I was like of course <laughs> and so but it was great yeah and I didn't need the set list right and it and from from then on I I, I smoke before I go on stage every now and then but I don't even I just don't need to anymore and yeah. now I can be really but it's like and that that broke me but I mean I don't think you have to do acid I think you could just as you've oh, seen no. you've done it twice and it's been good well the yeah, I made a baby one of the times. <laughs> that was a really good show. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's fine. Um, so, like, the <laughs> the Sting is a good example because I've done that show, I don't know, a, a few times, four maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, every time I get too drunk. Like, really? Because before? Because you get it? free cocktails and yeah. they're really good. <laughs> Frozen. Yeah. And I don't know why Chris likes putting me up later because I think he likes me. You're drunk. Being drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I've done it f- just frequently enough. Like it's usually every three or four months. Like it's, it's right. not too much. It's not gross, but it's like every three or four months. So I start to worry about doing the same jokes for that crowd. Yeah. I, and so that's why I bring, I bring a set list up there to make sure if I'm repeating a joke, it's at least not from the time before. Yes. It's like from two times before. And I have all my set lists in my phone so I can like go back, filter on the sting and see, okay, I just did this set. Let's not use any of those jokes. Cause just yeah. in case. And the same thing if I do the valve or new movement, like I like to make sure that if I'm in a venue, I'm not going to just repeat a set, yeah. even though nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives right, a shit. Right, agreed. We are overthinking it, but nobody but it, cares. But some of it, I think, is a good habit. Like, that's yeah, a I think good it's habit. a terrible habit. Well, I, I think I'll it's one of the habits you need to shake to be a working Interesting. comic. I'm absolutely certain of this. Yeah, yeah. Because I think if you're going to be at Cap City yeah. and you're going to do a weekend and you're going to do those six shows, yeah. do the same fucking set six Oh, for times. sure. Yeah, and maybe change one joke but out. But you also but like, know in that weekend that it's going to be different people why would they come back I know but like it's ingrained in me now that yeah. I, I just can't no, do I the, same the same set impulse. twice when I do the valve I've never done cap I just imagine you do the same set yeah, yeah. but when I do the valve with yeah. just those three measly shows different audience of yeah. course but now I'm starting to think about well that headliner I mean I want them to like me yeah. and yeah. remember me so I gotta show them all my jokes <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> but I, I also it seems to me because you have a, a writing background you're less insecure about production of writing Oh, I don't worry about that. that, In the way that some comics, I feel like definitely. Well, how often do you guys throw a a new joke into the fold? Like not for an open mic, but for like. I do it too much. I think like, so tonight is happens to be my show. Mm -hmm. It's a monthly show, except not in the summer because it's a college. Right. Uh, And I try to do a new four to five minutes 
every time I go up. Okay, so like, is, this same, is that two new bits for you or three? Two, yeah, my, on average, my bits probably are about two, two mi- minutes, minute and a half to two and a half. Yeah, you got now, shorter like stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I always do like a usually the structure is like a joke mm-hmm. and then a few tags, mm-hmm. maybe a segue that's a joke and then big yeah. joke. It's not yeah. intentional, but that's no, that's the, the that's a rhythm good of it. Yeah, I think. Um, but yeah, that's that's about my production. Wait, wait you're saying uh, how often do you throw new jokes into a show? Wait, how often have you worked something through in oh. an open mic enough to test something on a show and throw it into the rotation for whatever set you're going to do? I I don't like every I don't, I month. Like I'm so no. I mean, there's usually uh, at least another minute or two every week. But I mean, because yeah. I because because I do longer form stuff. Usually, it'll be like I'll have a show and now I might. I might throw in a, a, a new joke that I haven't even told on stage before because I'm right. just going to change the material. Or I might have a couple of bits that I'm going to change the order and the kind of transition and I have some trans... And, and like, sure. So, you know, it's hard to say because I feel like... I've, and I have too much of that pressure to not repeat myself in all yeah. these different scenarios. So I'm constantly, you know, trying new stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I could quantify... How many minutes? But average. I feel like I feel like if I don't have a new, I'll say four minutes every two weeks, I would feel very ugh. stale. Yeah, I would say. Okay, so I have a, an obsession mm-hmm. that every other show I try a new joke. That's mm-hmm. good. No, don't, As, see, I don't know. This do is, not do this that. Is, this I think it's weird the, to have a specific. But, the, rule. but here's the thing. I have open mic'd a yeah. new joke in semifinals of FPIA. That's not good. And of course it bombed. Yeah. But I couldn't not because I, I looked through my set list. And I'm like, but I had this idea on the way here. Yeah. But, and I know it would go great. And I just, you know, when I heard it in the car with the fake audience that's yeah. in my head, it killed. And I'm like, oh, I, gotta, I can't hold back. I <laughs> oh, that I fake audience like, is so into fake you. Fake audience is awesome, <laughs> you know. And I've done that. I It's like it's like a weird compulsion, though. That And so I've learned to make my new jokes very short yeah (laughs) very 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 short quick in and out just to get it in there so that i don't feel bad that i didn't do one because i just i feel terrible if i do two sets in a row with all polished stuff stuff. yeah you said that's why you said it's bad and i believe that it is but that is a recurring theme on this podcast (laughs) of comics that do that who like bob that talks about doing that that he writes too much he uh, yeah. rather than like take bits and just refine them make them perfect and everything like that he has this compulsion to write new things Jay said that yeah I, I also prefer yeah. to be excited about what I'm doing and so yes, once it helps a set, goose a set yeah. Yeah. yeah and I just want I want it to feel alive in some way and so you know whether that's, or, your, that's your bread and butter that, that's what well, you yeah. do on stage like, also it's good I think now I'm, I know I'm reversing my own don't do this but um, I, I think it is good sometimes Times, if you're going to st- try a joke, there's there's nothing wrong with trying jokes at open mics. But sure. what you're learning when you do that is how you want to tell the joke. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing wrong with throwing an idea out to the wolves just see if it's even worth working on. Yeah. So like sometimes the bigger the show or the better the audience, the more I'm excited to throw that one thing out to the wolves. Yeah, and if it gets a little like something, even if it's not huge, I'm yeah. like, that's worth working on. And if it gets nothing, I'm yeah. like, oh, that was stupid. And then <laughs> move on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would at semifinals of FPIA probably not the best idea. You should get over that. Um, yeah, like that was OCD so moment or whatever. <laughs> uh, but the most of the time. shows in Austin, even if they feel high stakes to you, there's not any stakes. That's so true. and almost nothing. And so yeah, it's to throw in. It, I mean, don't do ten new minutes, but like to throw in a new bit or a new tag or whatever. Um, at some point, I don't count tags. I don't yeah. no, no tags to me are you try a new one every night if you want. Who yeah. cares? Yeah I, yeah. Just, I mean a whole new like premise. Yeah. 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 If I'm like super confident in it, 
I'll do it. But sometimes I wasn't gonna. And then if the, if the set's going so well that they love you, yeah, you like just throw the new joke in. Tags put, come to me on stage anyway, though. Right. I don't pre-write yeah. my tags. I write my punchlines. But I, I, if a tag pops into my head, yeah. or, you know, that's that's where they come from. Yeah, right. writing yeah. that energy of the success of the previous joke, or, something or just like the that. creativity of yeah. being in the moment, yeah. and realizing oh, this idea would be funny here, and then having it reflected back as working. That's that's where a good tag comes. There's from a bunch of stuff I would not have forgot, or I wouldn't have come up with if I wasn't on stage. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, it's just it would it wouldn't. I don't know. I don't have the. I wouldn't have the same confidence. Yeah, you I can tell people who write their jokes out on paper, like yeah. word for word, and uh-huh. learn them. And then if they have tags, you can feel a certain plotting. Yeah. yeah, rhythm to it, and like the good, the people who are good at it. Trim out the ones that don't work eventually, and yeah. give it a little spontaneity. Right, but it always disappoints me as a comic when I see somebody plotting through three tags. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, and especially, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, sometimes it's someone who I was there the first time they said it, oh, and it was yeah. great, and then and you, you and then they keep it? saying it the same way, yeah. except yes. that they've now ruined it. It's a little bit too fast, or like it's mm-hmm. too hurried from the last thing, or, or it's just recited, or it's just recited as opposed yes. to this, like, oh my god, this thing just came out of me. You, yeah. you know, when you go on stage sometimes and you just know what you're about to say is going to be funny yeah you just you can just feel it yeah that doesn't when you that sometimes that's where those tags come from yeah when you try to do them again you don't have that feeling yep. yeah like, and then oh. you taper off at the end and right of and also it. there's no rules in comedy but here's one <laughs> if you're bombing don't tag anything <laughs> that's mm. a good go find a joke that works right. and once a joke works then you can tag it but yeah don't, yeah why a tag are you tagging will not a save your set <laughs> when yeah. you tag and you're not connecting to an audience right. you're just making it's them just watch awkward. you longer yeah yeah it's not a tag comes from a place of goodwill it doesn't come it's not the thing that wins an audience over yeah that's true it's i feel like yeah the tag is more embarrassing than just bombing the first joke because it's like did you think that we were laughing why would you keep talking (laughs) about that also if you think your tag is the funniest part of your joke make it the damn punchline yeah Yeah. and that happens a lot by the way not like in the process of i do this other thing where but i've seen people cling to it as a tag like Mm -hmm. they'll they'll slog through a bad punchline to get to the tag and it's like well, take out the stupid punchline. Because they got the dopamine once, uh, and they don't know how to sort through. This, yeah. this this probably isn't uh, important, like, but but do you ever do the thing beforehand where you're like? you realize the premise is a little too long to set up before the joke, so you're like, let me throw something in the beginning, and then that thing gets bigger laughs. Then it happens to me a lot. Oh, it's like yeah, when I'm segues not... and premises can get big laughs, but if you're, I mean, and that's a good thing, mm-hmm. but... If it stops being a premise, then what you've now got is a one-liner. Yeah, And you don't... I mean, you know, it's... Well, that's not... There's no formula again. Like I said, sometimes it becomes instead of a story or instead of a a linear joke, it becomes a riff session and you can make it pop that way. But yeah, I've... Most of my polishing work is on premises. I usually know yeah. where the laugh is at the end or yeah. whatever. And then the tags, like I said, are organic. So for me, when I work a joke over, it's always finding a better premise, a premise yeah. that'll include a laugh with the setup. And and as short as possible because I can really write a long premise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I I have this problem. It's not a huge problem, but I, I where I feel like if I'm really focusing on writing something and making it funny, mm-hmm. it's just never going to get there. And it's all the stuff that I'm just when I'm not attached to a thing. Mm-hmm. It's all the periphery where most of my success has been. Mm. It still requires the focus, but it's just like just I don't know. Like so there's something about over like trying too hard to be funny about a thing yeah yes like, like if i decide i really want to make this joke work it rarely does it's the stuff when i'm being when i'm putting yeah. less effort into it i think there's a lot of comedians and this is going to sound 
like it's not a compliment. But I really do think that it's just a different style of being funny on stage. I think there's a lot of comedians where their funny comes from their charisma. Sure. And what that means is it's more important to work on establishing that charisma than on wordsmithing or coming to a particular joke or doing your jokes in a particular order. All the shit we just talked about. Clearly, uh, we're not charismatic. But (laughs) we're working on all this. (laughs) But I've seen comics be very successful who just go up there and with sheer charisma win an audience over to where they want to hear what they're going to say next. And then once they've established that, if they start piling on some jokes, that's when they, I would kind of put Daniel Webb in this category. And I'm not saying he doesn't have jokes. He's got fantastic jokes, but he always establishes a certain energy and charisma. That's why it's like, fuck you. That's why he's so great. (laughs) But that's why he established, he spends a lot of time up top. If you watch his sets, establishing charisma. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not a heavy hitter usually coming out of the gates. He's not the kind of person who opens with a great bang and then rides that wave. Yeah. He usually just gets up there and says, hello. And, there you go. There's yeah. Daniel. Yeah, he's, and he's yeah. sorting the stage. He does he's sorting the stage, and he's prancing, so and he's cute. doing his awesome shit. And he does that fifth generation Texan thing, mm-hmm. that's very identity based yeah, early he, on. Oh, yeah, you've got a couple well, of uh, identity setups to give that charisma some yeah. flavor, yeah. and yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting to, uh, way to think about it because I mean, as soon as you said that, you know, people are popping in my head who it's like, oh right, they've got charisma, and like you said, yeah. We, <laughs> 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 I'm just saying we don't have any. I'm, I'm not, saying we can't make that not, the, yeah, the yeah, funny. That's not our charisma is not itself hilarious. And no. Godfrey to me is the king of that, by the way. A, a guy who... Godfrey? Uh, yeah, I don't know that he has bits. Or I mean, Gilbert some, Godfrey. No, no, no. no. Godfrey is... We Godfrey. saw him at Cap he, a couple of ago. He was just... I was like, man, he's got 15 minutes worth of jokes. And he has successfully, not like in a crappy way, successfully made this an hour and 15 minute set. Mm-hmm. There's also like... Not all charisma is... Um, you know, uh, bubbly and high energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's well, weird. I think Tig. Tig has great charisma. Tig has amazing charisma. And I would say like to pull another local comic into this, I think this is how one liners succeed in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, J- John Mendoza know, has yeah. great charisma. Mm-hmm. It's a negative space charisma. Yeah. He, he, he has a very quiet approach and he lets silence establish what Daniel establishes with moving around yeah. Yeah. and, and with dynamism, dynamism. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that makes his, I don't know, it just makes his one-liners breathe. Whereas if you, you've, we've all seen people get up at open mics and just tell a bunch of one-liners yeah. off of and, note cards. And it always Sean stays Camp, very And you're just like, what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> are uh, you doing? I don't care how funny this is. This will never be funny. And John's jokes are so good too that it, exactly. it, uh, you, he, he like buys that level of patience for You have audience. to. Yeah. Joe yeah, Teller yeah. obviously does a very similar, I mean, he has a completely different writing style. But yeah. He has a similar um, approach um, too. And I think... I think that's another form of charisma comic. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's interesting. Well, let me try to move on to part two or three or whatever. Sure. Oh. Um, I do want to, cause we're, you know, are we going to start now? Yeah, we're going to start. <laughs> Welcome to leading the blind. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but so you, I, I want to know, like, do you want uh, comedy to be your career? No. So what kind of, <laughs> well, I mean, you have like a real job and kids and everything. I mean, I'm too old and yeah. I'm too, and I am tied down to kids, not in a bad way, but like, there's no appeal to me in touring mm-hmm. and that that's one sense. of the ways to start making money at this. Yeah. Uh, there's no appeal to me in moving to yeah. Los Angeles or New York or somewhere you can get writing jobs. Right. And that's a, another way to make money at this. And there's no appeal to me at uh, trying to open a comedy club. Yeah. And that's the other way to make money. So there's no money in it for me. Even if I were to become Austin's best comic ever, which ain't going to happen. And I got to headline every show every week. I wouldn't make enough money. Right. So fuck it. Um, Yeah. And I actually, it's a very mature way to look at it. 
I think it's hard for a lot of people that really want to do this. Sure. But I'm 38. Most of the people we know are in their 20s and they have all the freedom they need to and they should have it. Yeah, yeah. To dream a bit about it and look for those ways to make money. And good for them. I'm not, you know, I don't think it's realistic for everybody. It's realistic for me. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I took off two months at the end of last year because I started to care too much. And I started to start looking at opportunities and wondering if I could get them. And I had to like recalibrate and go, you're doing this for fun, Karina. Mm-hmm. Remember? And if you want to make money at art, like you made money at writing for 12 years, do that again. You can yeah. actually physically do that. You know, you can earn That's a paycheck really that way. Um, so I got, I took two months off. I just dedicated myself to writing again. And now I'm doing both kind of half time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's improved both. I think um, doing stand up gives me an outlet to keep my writing from getting too try too hard. Mm-hmm. And then the doing more writing, I think, is helping my uh, stand up not be so. Well, it helps me not feel so uptight after a set, like if there was a flaw in it. Yeah. I yeah. I, you know, I was starting to sweat those flaws and I was like, well, yeah, but so? <laughs> oh no, the talent agent you would turn down. <laughs> if they gave you, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Saw that flaw. Oh. What, what is it about stand-up then that, that keeps you coming back? I mean, even if at just a pure art level. Yeah, well, ri- I like writing and I like communicating to people and getting feedback, right? And so that's always why I've been a writer. That's mm-hmm. what I think I'm on this planet to do is put thoughts down in a neat way that people like consuming. I'm a better writer than I am a stand-up, but the problem with writing is you write something and then you try to convince somebody to put it in their thing and then they mess with it and then they put it in their thing and then it goes out there and a couple thousand people read it and you hear from none of them. Or if you do hear from anybody, they say, good job. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Yeah. Now, stand up, you get up there, you talk for five minutes, you get immediate feedback on every word you say. Yeah. And if you do a good job, people meet, like come up and really mean it and tell you a good job. Yeah. And if you do a bad job, people don't talk to you. It's the perfect art form. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, and then you had an experience with those people. Like, if they yeah. come up, the reason they're enthusiastic about it is that you created like feeling profound feelings both in inside the room yeah. and they got to see you, watch you create it. It's like it's crack cocaine if you're a writer because yeah. you're like, oh, I've been, you know, doing coffee (laughs) there's a small buzz to that but this is yeah really getting to see the fruit now the flip side of that though is the crack cocaine problem Mm -hmm. you have to do it constantly to keep that yeah you know feedback loop going and And in the the in-between times is very depressing whereas writing all the in-between times is the best part the in-between times when you're working on stuff and you're making you're creating so that's what i've decided to do with my 40s is glue those things together spend all my downtime not dwelling on how my stand-up's going but on writing and feeling good about generating whatever i can generate and then when i need a little pick me up go ahead and do some comedy and if i don't do well go back and write some more and if i do well then i feel good like that's a great plan yeah i I think that's a great plan that doesn't involve is this going to be a career i I don't want to monopolize so if you have another question i don't either i'm sorry no 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 i just uh just only do you have any goals though that you would like i always say i would love to be in a sitcom writer's room but i'm not going to move to la and try to do that so we could start one here it would have to yeah i mean it would have to be kind of a, a lightning in a bottle opportunity yeah and I have no experience writing for that. I just love the idea of collaborative. I have a friend in Dallas writing. who who like just took a class or something, or like yeah. she just had a group, and they're starting to do it. I mean, people, you know, because of the internet, like, mm-hmm. and there's, and I hope that people cr- start creating more and more stuff here. I mean, they have been anyway. Yeah. But so, I mean, I don't see why you know at some point we I might not all start. Writing I think we together. could and get something going, and things have started in Austin and succeeded. If you look at like Rooster Teeth and other things like that. Mm-hmm. 
But I grew up in Denver, which is a very similar size and position city to Austin culturally. Yeah. So I grew up for the first 25 years of my life hearing, you know, we're just, we're on the cusp. We're on the verge. If some people would just start something so we get noticed, we'd yeah. become like the next whatever. Yeah. And then coming here and hearing it in Austin too, I'm like... Yeah, I've heard that my whole life. It's right. <laughs> I don't really bank on it, you know. Yeah. Oh, we could become the next Seattle. No, but really, I mean, what came out of Seattle in the last twenty years? But even yeah, well, yeah. and the internet has changed. But it's yeah. also like, you know, this isn't necessarily to get rich and famous. But we that doesn't mean we can't make a sitcom and be right. in a writer's room where we're having fun writing a sitcom. Exactly. I'm not discouraging anybody from doing things here. I'm just saying, like, I think there's a quixotic vision in like instead of going to New York and pursuing yeah. my dream of writing for NBC, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to start an NBC in Austin. Mm, you should yeah. probably go to New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but if you just like, I want to try this. Yeah, this is a no fail market. Like, mm-hmm. you can just try it, and nobody's going to like brand you as a loser for the rest of your career because you failed. Yeah, that's great. And it seems that. I mean, the internet has changed a lot of stuff, especially in terms of like, even if you weren't pursuing this in a more, I'm going to go to New York kind of way. Yeah. Like if you cultivated a voice, you know, and. Well, but what hasn't changed is you move at the end of that. If you succeed, right? Like, so I think of like Growlix in Denver. They did that. They actually, somebody actually Mm -hmm. did something in fucking Denver and made it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, After I should have stuck a longer, another decade. They did it. (laughs) Uh, But what was the first thing they did? Um, They moved to LA. Yeah. do it there for a show for a TV network. Because, so like because that's where the opportunities were. That's like, where the money. That's yeah. where the jobs are. Yeah. yeah, and these are all jobs. Yeah. Now I'm I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's like how crazy would they be to be like, oh, you really like us? You're here to get, sign a contract? Okay. Well, our first demand is that we start a network out here. And <laughs> yeah. of course you're going to go to where all the are you interested are. in relocating your network? <laughs> exactly. Because this is going to be a hot show. Yeah. So I don't know, but. That's like, what was I going to say about as far as making money at stand up opportunities? Well, you were talking about your goals and you said maybe it would be fun to oh, first sitcom. I would like to be some kind of the other dream in terms of fame, mm-hmm. not fortune, but just, you know, fame's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I could see myself being a spokesperson type. Like, Mm-hmm. I could see myself being nationally known, mm-hmm. not nationally necessarily famous. Cause that takes work and going on the road yeah. and like yeah. doing high profile opportunities, but just somebody that people are aware of, Oh, there's that trans comic in Austin. And yeah. that is a pure identity thing. And I realize I'd be trading on that, but at the yeah. same time, that opportunity exists for me. And if I get good enough and if I get funny enough, then it might come my way and I won't have to do anything. So that to me is my ceiling in terms of comedy um, success. And in the meantime, if you like developing as an artist, then you don't really have a good reason not to just develop as an artist. I'd be exactly as happy without any of that. Yeah. But I would be totally open to that kind of a role in the national comedy scene. You heard it here first. You're not not a self-saboteur in the sense that if those opportunities came your way, you're like, oh, I can't have that. Oh, somebody said, you know, we really want you to be in our sitcom, come to New York, I'd go. If if there's a job offer, I'll go follow it. But I I can't uproot myself and go in the hopes of one. I'm just that part of my life that period of my life is gone yeah so gotcha I mean part of me likes the idea this is very selfish and just purely aesthetic but the idea that like Austin will maintain some really talented and colorful people there's something sad about the idea that this is and I really think it's a beautiful scene I love doing comedy here but then there's this feeling like well eventually everybody leaves 
And so mm-hmm. eventually they're not. So it's nice that some people aren't, that they'll be around to a like help people have legitimize stayed. the scene. I think a yeah, lot which of is it's good. a surprising amount of people who have enjoyed a certain number amount of success have stayed and not for necessarily like, sad reasons. LaShonda. No, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, LaShonda, it, what I'm saying is it would be sad mm-hmm. if, if it that, were completely a farm team. If it was completely. only, yeah, if it was only yeah. an incubator and you yeah. could, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes it ha- I call it comedy college because it does yeah. feel like people move here, they spend four hour, four years, get good at it and leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that trap. Yeah. And especially of younger comics. But I think that's just how young people in general are. Yeah. That they're going to give yeah. any given city four years of their 20s and then they're going to move on. Fine. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I think there's a lot of um, veterans who are not just veterans because they stuck around. Veterans who are talented and can still go out and, and do it on a national scale. They just are still based here yeah. in the scene who actually try to nurture the scene. I think that's awesome. And, and there are people that kind of have like almost a transient passing through coming back like Danny like last time I talked yeah. to him he wasn't wasn't necessarily as concerned with like he's gonna go to LA but he does, it's not like I'll never go back to Austin yeah I kind of like, like the loosey goosey way he did yeah. that MK, and it, it feels MK like well. he still owns mm-hmm. us yeah and uh, well uh, Martha Kelly yeah, uh, floats back and forth yeah. um, frequently so I think Cubis will end up being one of those people as he gets more and more opportunities in, mm-hmm. in the yeah. coastal cities um, we'll see um but yeah, so that's nice that we can serve as a kind of like the place you go for Thanksgiving yeah. to the comedy community. Yeah, like, like a waypoint oh, or something. My family's in Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. I go back for holidays and we do fun show. We do the seance and, and then I go back on the road. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. and if and when I move, like I wonder for myself, like will I keep Austin as an identity? Will I think of myself as an Austin comic? I mean, I'm sure it just depends on how long you develop here. Yeah. You do it 10 years here yeah. and then you leave, but and you're an Austin comic. There's a voice in an audience here that is unique. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't, this is where I'm a little out of my, um, I'm getting over my skis. I <laughs> don't tour. I haven't firsthand experienced like you have recently what it's like to do comedy in other, um, scenes yeah. with any, you know, depth. Um, but I understand that what's funny in Austin, what works in Austin, what yeah. happens in Austin doesn't necessarily travel all that well. Um, except to maybe the other couple of pockets in America that where this is, yeah, you know, to your Denver and your Portland and whatever. So um, maybe that's something that does keep people coming back. Is it like okay, I'm I'm exercising new muscles on the road, or I'm learning new skills out in these other areas, but I can always go back to Austin and kill it for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a great place to write a ton of material because yeah. there's so much stage time. Mm-hmm. So um, I think and good for a, stage and time. good stage time, and it's easier. You're not driving forever, uh, and so people mm. who are spending a lot of time in LA, it's easy to come back for a while. And if you're gone for a while, and you come back and you do every good show, yeah, and then you go back to LA, you know. I've been really pushing this phrase, and I honestly think it's more apropos than the one we've got, that Austin is the life comedy capital of the world. Yeah. Because I, you know, having the limited amount of travel and investigation of other scenes I've done, I think we have more live comedy shows per yeah. capita mm-hmm. than any other scene. I think that's exactly right. Um, and it doesn't necessarily dilute our product too much. I, I mean, know. sure, there's a couple of shitty shows out there, but like... That's true anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, the DIY here is very high in terms like that's the that's the do your do yourself do yourself idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the independent shows, yeah, yeah that's a lot. Like. Oh, it's, it's almost like a weird, it's become a pattern that when I first started, this was not the way it worked. Yeah. And now it does seem like this is how everybody approaches it. You do open mics for a year and then you start or take over somebody's open mic for a year.
year. And then you co you join forces with somebody and you start or take over somebody's showcase for a year or two. And then you've made it. That yeah. seems to be like the little like yeah, well, curriculum people... that people follow. Yeah. And it's created a ton of showcases that yeah. where there used to be. A lot of Five. people have been doing it for yeah. a year or less and just start a show. I, I, they shouldn't. I, I did that. <laughs> I, know? I well, did it. Jared's it, wor- it worked out, but I was, I had a perfect storm of good things. Yeah. You know, where right. like I was in, I was in two places where there were big audiences. So rather than have the problem of how do I promote this? I'll bring four people yeah. to this bar where they don't want to be and then have my friends yeah. come out. I was, I just had like 50 or 60 person crowds. And right. Was like, and, and then I asked people who were way ahead of me, like, how do I do this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was, so if you pro- approach anything with the right humility, you can do it before you should. And, yeah. and I think there's a big difference too in between facilitating a show, yeah. which if you have a connection to a venue and a time slot and you know how to make a show happen there in a way that nobody else could, yeah. to me, that's just, that's facilitating a show and you happen to get to host it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. That's exactly what I did at aviary for a long time. Um, but then there's starting a showcase and, where you go approach a venue, like all brassy and like, yeah. oh, I'm going to, like book this here weekly and it's going to fill up and you really shouldn't do that and even if you've been in the scene for a long time i've seen people fail miserably at that and um i've seen too many newbies do it the concern in the community that i hear is that it dilutes the product in terms of like people go check out a free comedy show that's been promoted really well because you're excited about it it's on do 502 and then it sucks because they don't know how to book yeah Yeah. how to host and the venue is empty yeah um Personally, I think audiences here are more resilient than that. I yeah. think you'd have to like hit them only with those kind of comedy yeah. shows before yeah. the scene would die. But I, you know, it doesn't help anybody. Yeah, I yeah. worry more because I think that's right. I mean, the, this was like a lot of people were arguing about it for a while, and yeah, I don't, I don't see. I don't, most of the people I talk to that aren't in comedy don't realize how many comedy. Uh, shows there are oh, that yeah. they can do. I mean, it's it, insane. So, so yeah. it's not as if they're like, well, you know, mostly the comedy I've seen is bad. It's mostly they're just unaware. Uh, but, <laughs> oh, there's live comedy in Austin. Yeah. yeah. But what I what I do think those people have a case is that uh, hurting venue, like uh, souring venue. You'll burn a venue. Yeah, and yeah. that could have been a place where a comic who'd been doing it for four or five years and really yep. knew how to do it. Yep. Couldn't do it. And the way venues in Austin works, anybody who owns that venue usually owns three or four. Yeah. And so when you burn an owner on the idea of live comedy, you might unintentionally burn a couple of really good downtown Sixth Street spots. Yeah. You know, so... I do wish there was more. I mean, you approached your show with a lot of that humility and learning. And also you had a genuine connection that made you knew how to yeah. get people in the door and you felt comfortable in the room. I looked at it and I was like, I think there are only six things I'll have to do yeah. and don't be lazy. Well, and, and when then, you're already comfortable in the space, it's easier to bark yeah. people through it. Yeah, That's true. absolutely. That's a yeah. big part of it that people don't understand. Um, so I think if more people did it that way, and I think, the people who started shows lately that have been succeeded have been doing it that way. That's fine. It's this is more aimed at. And I've seen, yeah, I've I've seen the the bad stuff out there. Most of I will it's say, like those pseudo open mic showcases. Yeah, where it's yeah. like I'm going to call it a showcase and I'm going to book my five friends on it every single week. Yeah. It's like and or your people are going to show up and because you want it, people yeah. to be there, you're going to be like, yeah, you can go up and now, but it now it becomes now like nothing. what is this joke? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's it's essentially don't start an open mic that you're going to. 
Facebook so that people can't use it as an open mic. If you're going to start an open mic, start an open, start open mic. mic. Please. Please. Always more open mic. Also, that's yeah. happening. I There was a last couple of months, a bunch of stuff was shutting down and there was a moment where I was like, there are less open mics now than when I started, yeah. which doesn't feel good. But there's like three or four new ones. Well, so Chris Castles is doing one on Mondays now, right? Thank God. It's 730. Clarkson and JT are doing one. Which mm, what That's day monthly, is though. That's just monthly. Oh, is that, is well, it? Still, oh, that's too it. bad. Yeah, yeah. still. That's well, there's two new ones on Friday. I mean, there's the other one that... Um, Troy Dillinger has the one that I'm started hosting oh, the on Friday. Oh, that you're doing yeah. a lot of hosting. Of. Um, I don't know if I don't that'll... Th- yeah, I don't... Well, the other thing, he's coming back, so and I think he wants to be doing it. Um, I, if anything, I like the idea of starting them and just finding a way to Giving keep it more. up Yeah. rather than like... Because it's, it's something like... I do tramps. I do it, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but it's because somebody needs to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think if, if I could... And I've had this plan before, which is starting a mic at a place... And then just have Hand new it comics. Off to a new comic. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so funny that tramps. There is this sense that there needs to be a tramps mic on Sundays and Wednesdays. <laughs> I remember when those started; it nothing needed to be. Oh there. no, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's it can be a good room. I'm glad that they're yeah, there and they're institutions. It's just funny if you're here long enough to hear about things suddenly becoming. Oh, you can't have no tramps. <laughs> you have to have two tramps open mics a week, or else yeah. what happened to the scene? Well, the, yeah, the yeah. issue for me is is not that it needs to be. Tramps. That's how it's I just, feel about Cherrywood, though. It's just even weird. though I hardly ever go there. It's yeah. like if Cherrywood shut down, I'd be like, it, oh, the scene's what, dead. Cherry, well, Cherrywood's yeah. also like yeah. uh, as an institution, like for socializing too. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. a gra- it's one of the it's like a lot of different parts of the. It's not where, like we're very clicky, but there are definitely places. If you go to certain places, you're not going to see certain people. Yeah, and yeah. vice versa. And Cherrywood's a good influx of a lot of different good groups. Cherrywood's our longest running non club open mic. Yep. I mean, it's our granddaddy at this point. That's so, awesome. You know, it's got that history to it that I mm-hmm. think older comics feel comfortable going there too because they've done the venue yeah. when they were open micers. Well, the other thing is so many people live near Cherrywood. I mean, I think that's that true. Helps. The, yeah, as long as the mainer corridor is like, yeah. still Comedy Central. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. but I was going to say, it's not that Tramps needs to stay, it's that Sunday needs there a post needs to cap be a open mic, mic yeah. is what you want. Yeah. 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 Oh, or just we, another one. But I want the every day to have at least three open I think staggered. You know? I agree, exactly. That would be ideal. If every day had exactly three, not only would it appeal to my OCD, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that would be the right amount. When a certain day gets four or five, that's it gets crazy, and it's like one of these things has to die. Yeah. Because somebody's sometimes, begging. But sometimes, like if we if they, we don't have more than two at a time slot, then that might get so packed that people get turned away. I mean, Dog and Duck last week, or whatever that was, mm-hmm. where because there was like I don't know if Cherrywood was close something happened where there 30 people tried to do the mic kick, and they no, had kickbutt wasn't open oh kickbutt that's right kickbutt wasn't happening and so yeah. everybody who needed to get one in there so, are more if you know this is probably comics, yeah. this is probably just not nice <laughs> this is the old fogey in me gonna be an old woman for a second but <laughs> I think there's something beneficial to fighting for open mic time because sure. this town has so much stage time yeah. I don't think anybody's comedy career is gonna be hurt because they had to you know maybe not make a list one time when they yeah. went to an open mic and I think when there's a long list and you have to fight to get on it and you were there early you tend to put more energy and value in the time you get on stage at that open mic That's than the point. one you know you can walk on, get drunk, do it, walk out. Those sets ho- are less useful. <laughs> right. Those yeah. sets, I think, are less useful yeah. than the ones where you're like, okay, I got to get there half an hour early. Please sign me in. And like, okay, when am I on the list? Or Okay, you got me. Put me 10th. Okay, I'm going to like anticipate that 10th spot. You put more... I don't think that's fogish. I think that's a good point. I, and so I don't mind when the open mics are all full. I think full open mics are better yeah. than empty ones. Uh, just yeah. for the sake of being able to walk up and do stage time. That's not a good thing. I wouldn't say. 
Yeah. I will say there's a lot of times when people have them and they don't, and we don't need them at that time. And it's like, yeah, it, it, you know, the idea was that was when the venue had it. It's like, yeah, but there are a lot of venues and maybe just don't even yeah. do that. It's not there's worth- some venues that don't need to. Yeah. 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 Um, but I have a few more questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is seven eighteen. Just yeah. so you know. So, so these are I just these are my stock questions. But I really do um, like to get this out here. My favorite word is no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. If you have if, a favorite word, please. Share. Uh, we, yeah. uh, it, when you die, if there's a god, mm. and he, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> what? That's a lot of ifs. What? Yeah, what? I'm not going <laughs> to die, and there's no god. <laughs> uh, but if you could change something about the Austin comedy scene. What would it be? Your magic wand. I mean, it couldn't be fantastic. Like I like ninety new comedy clubs or something more uh, practical. Yeah, but if I could change one thing about the Austin comedy scene, it would mm-hmm. be to wave a magic wand and magically turn every drink ticket into five bucks. Yeah, nice. there you go. Yeah. yeah, I'm so tired of getting paid in drink tickets, and I realize that to the bars they are less than five dollars of cost. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I still think comedy's worth that in this town, and I think we need to find a way not to pay comics we don't need more full-time comics for god's sake Ugh. yeah <laughs> but i think it would just show a certain amount of value yeah um appreciation from the venues yeah and i think we've been too cheap for too long and if you paid every showcase mic like even a big showcase like a 10 person showcase five bucks it's still a fraction of what a band costs right so yeah, yeah. I, that's that's the one thing i would change and it fuels and you could use that five bucks to spend you could buy a beer with it that's fine yeah. mm-hmm. it's just let's not but it, it's like sometimes if you don't want to drink, but then you get the drink tickets. Now you're like, well, I guess yeah, there's a lot of non-drinking comics in this town. And like a lot of venues will squeeze it down to like, you don't even want the drink. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. That's the thing. We get a drink ticket, but it's for the worst of the beers. I would give you a, a well tiger thing. tall boy. I don't, I just don't do it. I prefer yeah. a tiger. I don't drink to enough. To a PBR. Actually, yeah. That's, love you, cherubs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, I, that, that would be the one thing I'd change. That's a good one. And the second one is, and we've talked a lot about this, so they could infer anyway, but if you could give one piece of advice to comics who are just starting out, let's say within a year, something like that, um, what do you, and, and if you are feel weird about advice, when you see open mic comics, hmm. less than a year, that territory, what are you what, screaming what inside in your, your head? It's like, don't, bugga, 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 and like, yeah. But, Okay, or I'm, do I'm trying bugga, to, bugga, bugga. I'm trying to think to of things of that I wouldn't then go, but they'll figure it out on their own. Sure. Or they won't. You know what I mean? Like, what's one thing that I could save them some time? That's what I was thinking, yeah. That's a, uh, for some reason, that's a hard question because I feel like I've spat out a bunch of that, but like, I want to nail this one. Um, hmm. I would say... No, I got nothing. That's fine. I got nothing. I honestly really, truly believe every comic's on their own path. I can't think of a single blanket statement. And that they'll figure it out on their own. Yes. If they work hard enough and keep going out. And also, I wouldn't want to give anybody anything to hang their hat on if they should quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want anybody listening to think, well, if I follow Karina's advice, I got another year in me. No, quit. Are you, uh, and let me ask you that, because do you feel, just as a follow-up, do you feel like... Um, just if people have those doubts, like that should, you think more people should s- turn into the skit of those doubts or it's completely existential. Like no, just it's, do it as long as it makes you feel good. Even if you suck at it, okay. um, that's yeah. fine. I quit and yeah. I came back to it 10 years later and that was the right decision for me. Yeah. Um, but I don't believe in a hazing scene where you have to be this good, this fast or fuck you. Or they're trying to yeah. get rid of you. No, yeah. you know, it's just, there's a little bit of stay in your lane. Like I was saying, like, don't start a showcase if you haven't yet made anybody laugh. Yeah. 
but um, <laughs> that's that's a good rule. Yeah. <laughs> that's my one piece of advice. Yeah. Throw that one out there. Um, but no, I, you know, it, do it as long as you want. It's a hobby. It's a free fucking hobby. Yeah, and an you're art. an audience member for me. Every time exactly. you show up, so and you're a patron. Don't you're a patron for the bars. Oh yeah. no, I didn't say quit. Don't <laughs> put that in no. my mouth. I don't want to. <laughs> but if you're I not, have to host a mic where people yeah, can yeah. ask me if yeah. I told them to quit. But if you're not making anybody else laugh ever. And the main reason people talk to you is because you have weed. Be a weed dealer. That's fine. <laughs> we <laughs> totally we fine. need those, too. Yeah, we are happy to have groupies with weed. The world needs weed. ditch diggers, too. Uh, that's you know? right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but ditch that's the weed. thing. You don't have to do time at the open mic if you just want to be friends. Just bring drugs, and we will be friends with you. Yeah, be drugs and laugh. Yeah, laugh at our jokes. That's all we want as an audience. Yeah. Totally. I don't want you. Well, <laughs> well, and I will say that the only, uh, it just, uh, I don't know, it, what's annoying when people pull starting shows early is not so much them doing that. It's that we so need more open mic hosts. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. that's it's such a miss. It's such a right. circuit. I don't think that's the dire problem. You probably think it is. Oh, we were uh, we were in a, like an expansive period. Yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. yeah. If it contracted a little, I think we'd be fine. Oh, so you're saying like because it's expanded so much recently, like from your perspective, it's actually not. we are st- we still have a glut of open mics. If you compare yeah, yeah. us to any other scene, yeah, yeah. it's insane. Now, may, if if we deserve it, it'll stay up. People yeah, want to yeah. host it. Yeah. People keep I coming may have to just, it and filling the room. But if if we don't need it, that's fine. If open mics, I, okay. see, I think I, I might have come in at that apex. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think like, you did. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want there to be more open mics too, just so that there's more that are convenient to mo- where I live yeah. or my yeah. schedule. <laughs> if there are several all over the place, then some will work better for me. That's, that's the one thing I've noticed that's interesting from when I started is when I started, almost all the open mics were concentrated around the north and east corridor. Yeah. And now it's much more geographically diverse because the city's so much harder to get around. Yeah. Um, and that's good. Yeah. We need I more in the south. Fine. Let's put that out well, there. It's good though. You've been, you've been to Red Shed and. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we got Chris, Red Shed, Chris but Opal's is gonna is gone. Be, Chris, Chris is down there, and you've yeah, got okay. Rock and Tomato started. That's true. Yeah. I haven't been to Rock and Tomato yet, so that's you should, good. You should go. It's really no, not I, that bad. No, I want to. It just hasn't worked. As, mics go, as mics go? It's, no, it's I mean, I'm down. There's, you know... We don't have any in the West. Think about the poor people in Westlake who want to try stand-up. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and start <laughs> that's that. That's a bizarre form of masochism <laughs> that they may have. Well, we got to get out of here, but I do yeah, have absolutely. the last question that I always ask, which is just, what is a favorite joke of yours, whether it's of all time or recently, and then... How did you write it? Oh, of my own? Yeah, yeah of yours. Yeah. Oh, God, I immediately went to like... <laughs> Someone else's, yeah. No, yeah, when I heard in elementary school, that's always my answer to my favorite joke. <laughs> um, what's my favorite bit of well, my what's own? What's that You don't have to be quick, married to it. Yeah. Because... It what? doesn't work on a podcast. It's oh, okay, a visual okay. joke. Okay, okay, okay. But it could just be like a, a current favorite or something you're excited about, but something mm. that you kind of know how it came to you or how you wrote it. Oh, Okay. This is a harder question than, okay, you ready to edit some silence? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do that. Because <laughs> I have to sit and think about my own stuff. Feel free to close your eyes. <sighs> okay. There's a candle. It's helping the meditative mood. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you one that I've been dusting off the shelf lately. And the reason I love it. <gasps> no, no. I'm going to go. I'm going to take one step to the left from that. I'm going to okay. talk about a joke I'll probably never do again because I can't do again. But it's my favorite joke because I told it before I transitioned. And it's the joke when every time I finished telling it, the entire audience should have stood up, stood up and said, in unison, you're trans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is great. And I had no clue. The joke was... Um, just imagine if men actually had to do something physically to care for babies. Women right now have to do all of it. Men make it and then they step out. So what if there was one physical burden on men 
and let's just say it was breastfeeding, but we don't need to give men breasts. Let's just say that the penis finally had two, maybe three functions. <laughs> and I walked people, this is not how I told it at all. I'm just trying to like explain the joke to you because the way I told it was long and I haven't done it in a while. But I went through a very accurate I think medical. Heard, this was right I've around. I've heard you do this. I, this saying, was, I heard you do <laughs> this in OT once and it's very funny but disgusting it's to me. It's disgusting. <laughs> and it, it was right around when my kids were born. So I was like going to breastfeeding classes. I was into it. I knew yeah. all that. So I go through all the same details and I literally, all I do is just replace breasts with dicks. Yeah. yeah. And it's a dick sucking baby joke. Yeah. And it's horrible. <laughs> but I tried to do it in a way that wasn't just about shock value but yeah. that was like opening people's minds the idea that human bodies are weird and we should all get over it. Yeah. And it could be uh, literally the case. But the shock is the, in the background. The shock it is, is there because yeah. it always ends with, you yeah. know, a visual of a baby, baby sucking a dick. <laughs> yeah. And that's a perfectly natural thing. I don't know why you're freaking yeah. out, Karen. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, was, I can't do that anymore because I think it's a little too on the nose for some reason. Sure. But um, when I told it before, like I said, I think people should have just <laughs> just cut it off already. <laughs> That would be a awesome thing for a crowd to say in unison, just yeah, because it's so had. articulated. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Luckily I didn't end with like the baby biting it off or anything like too Freudian. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you. No, well, thank you guys for this having was great. me on. This mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Good. Thank peace, you, Karina. Peace be with you. Don't we end the same way as we start? I mean, yeah, he, just we're just gonna. Talking. We're just gonna cut it off like in a random moment. And he's giving us that look like I cut it off thirty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> the computer crash. Okay. We're done. Bye. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for sticking with us. Blind, detudinal bulbs. Bl- I'm really hoping it'll just come to it's me. It's gonna when come I, to you. I sleep blind, on it. Blindness. No. Okay. Uh, just. Well, I for one uh, was disappointed with this one because it's too good. Oh, it's I hoped too good. Yeah, the uh, standards have risen too high. It's a high watermark. Yeah, you know, Karina was uh, pretty opinionated. It's always funny because all the comics pretend not to be opinionated or to have advice to varying extents or to hedge and everything, but then they all come out and are super opinionated and have lots of things to say. So uh, Karina came out swinging. Swinging that? Never mind. <laughs> all right. And uh, if you want to follow Karina, it's at M-L-L-E-C-A-R-I-N-A which we're, I'm thinking, I think that's how they abbreviate Mademoiselle in French. Probably. I think that, well, earlier sure. you said that I was making that up. No, I just said it sounded made up. Oh, well, all of like French you sounds were probably, made up. You, yeah, well, it is. They made that language up like 200 years ago. It's uh, it's actually one of the more well- That's uh, disgraceful. Well, well done conspiracies. That's um, disgraceful. The French, yes, they are. And uh, you can follow me at Poop Tampon and Jared at Jared McCorkle because, you know, no creativity or anything there. I am what I am. Just like you. Or a poop tampon. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Nice. We got him in the can. <laughs> Those are, we put him in the can. Oh. International.